So basically, this, this is the premise, and there's two bits to it. One is we really are in a low-return environment now. And I know people have been talking about this for some time, and yet the markets have kept on delivering really exceptional returns. And But I think we've crossed the bridge now, and I think we are now genuinely in a, a low-return environment, and I'll take you through the logic of that. And then the second piece is if you accept that logic, you know, how do we cross the phenology bridge? How do we join up this investment idea with our investors? And what are some of the implications of that, particularly from a communications perspective? The first idea is the idea that low interest rates are going to be with us for decades. Now, as you all know, the RBA sets the cash rate and they do to, and central banks everywhere, to moderate the economy. So if economy is running too slow and unemployment's high, central banks, RBA, cuts cash rates uh, and try and stimulate the economy. But if inflation's getting out of control because the economy is running too hot, they'll increase rates and do so to slow down the economy. And here we can see you know, what it's looked like since 1983 in Australia. We've famously had interest rates up near 18% on a couple of occasions uh, through the 2000s, up around fives and sixes, and now very, very low. So we've seen a very broad range. And, and one of the questions that people keep asking, and it's a fair question, is when interest rates settle down, where will they settle down? Will it be 5%? Is there any chance we'll get back to 8 or 10% again? Now, I'm going to argue today that there's virtually no chance we're going back to 6% or anything remotely like that, far less, uh, much higher rates. And it's all coming from this basic concept of the RBA setting cash rates. So here's the deal. Most of the impact of increasing interest rates in particular is felt at the household level in Australia. It's not the same everywhere else. And it's because we've mainly got floating rate mortgages. And the chart you see on the left-hand side here is showing that back in 1983, the average level of household debt to income was 40%. Now it's up over 180%. So there's, for every household, there's five times as much debt on average. And what that means is when the RBA lift interest rates by 1%, it'll have five times the impact on household finances. And, you know, as you all know, when, when interest rates go up on your home loan, there's less to spend. And if interest rates go up a lot, there's a lot less to spend. And that's the transition mechanism pretty much in Australia. So we see back in 83, the RBA had to increase cash rates to up to by 14% up to 18. And then in the late 80s, they had to increase by about 8%. Since then, the 90s and the through the 2000s, the interest rates have been much more modest. And I'll argue it's because uh, the 1% and, and, and increase has much more impact now than it did back in, say, the late 80s. So five times compared to the late 80s. What you can now do is calibrate those historical rate rises, what the RBA needed to slow the economy down to moderate inflation or indeed to put it into a recession. And what they are in today's terms given the much larger amount of household debt. And there are these brown boxes down the bottom. So today, to cause the same amount of pain as that 14% increase up to 18% per annum, the, the RBA would have to increase cash rates by about 2.6. Uh, the 8% increase in the late 80s, uh, about 2.8. And the more recent ones, 0.8, 1.9, 1.5. So that my key contention here is, if and when the RBA next sets out 
to slow down the economy and really get inflation under control, two to three percent will probably do it. And given that cash rates are at zero now, then if we get our cash rates up to say three, I think that's pretty much going to kill the economy stone dead. And that will bring inflation under control. And you know, who knows, this may be something that happens in the very near future. We know there's a lot of inflationary pressures around. Uh, but once we get to three and we've killed the economy and things coming back uh, more stable, then the RBA reduces rates and they come back to something like, I don't know, one and a half, maybe two maximum. And so my basic contention is the level of household debt means it's going to be really difficult for interest rates to go up by very much. So the lower interest rates will be with us for decades. The idea is we cannot function with 4% cash rates, this economy. And that will be the case until the debts can be paid off. That will take decades. But it also means that inflation is really unlikely, I believe, to become a long-term problem in Australia because the RBA have got the most potent weapon available to fight it. You know, it doesn't take too much in terms of lifting cash rates to really put the economy onto its heels and get inflation under control. So the basic contention, low rates will be with us for decades. I think that will then flow on to cause modest returns on growth assets as well. And the reason for that is low cash rates or low interest rates, more to the point, increase prices of growth assets. In other words, and when prices go up for a given level of income uh, or earnings, it means yields are falling. And that starts to happen everywhere. And low yields, high prices, basically means future returns can be lower than present returns. Let me step you through an example. Consider commercial property. Uh, the return you get out of commercial property is your yield, plus whatever rental growth you get, uh, which should translate into capital growth. But sometimes valuations change. Markets pay more or less for a given dollar of rent. Generally, when you see from that top line, the lower the yield, the lower the return you should expect. Now, if we go back to 2012, your expected return back then would have been about a 6% yield you're getting on commercial property. You'd expect growth to be around inflation. Now, that's growth of rents. And so you're expecting a return of about 8% per annum. Interest rates came down and down, and that has caused actual returns to go to more like 13% over the last 10 years. So yields on commercial property are now more like 4%. Now, if you've got a given income stream that's yielding you six, and the income stream itself doesn't change, the way you get to four is a 50% increase in your valuations. And that's pretty much what's happened over a 10-year period. That works at about 5% per annum. So for commercial property, instead of getting the eight you expected, it's been more like 15 for the last 10 years. But now let's say, well, what happens going ahead from here? Now your expected returns are more like 4%, which is your yield, plus your same old 2% growth. And that is now giving you only a 6% return compared to the 13 you got in the last 10 years. And that's if yields don't rise. I suspect a modest rise in yields. So it might market might settle down at 4.5%, for example. That takes 1% per annum off returns. So now you'd be looking at like more like 5% for the next 10 years out of commercial property rather than 13 so we've been through this transition phase where we get spectacular returns. That's the one we've been through, which is why in this so-called low return environment we've been in, we keep on getting great returns. I think that's come to an end because interest rates have basically hit rock bottom. 
You see the same thing happening in equities and listed security. So on the left, we have the S&P 500 for the last 50 years. On the right, US equity REITs. And you see a, a not perfect, but a quite a solid relationship between bond yields and earnings yield. Now, earnings yield for equity is the inverse of the price earnings ratio. So a P of 10 is an earnings yield of 10%. You're getting 10% earnings for every dollar you invested. A P of 25, you're getting 4% of earnings for every dollar invested. Uh, so that's a 4% earnings yield. And it just by using earnings yield, you get a clearer relationship between the two. And you see the same thing uh, in equity REITs uh, as, as, as you do with S&P 500 equities. So basically higher interest rates, higher yields, but more important for us, lower interest rates mean lower yields. And lower yields mean lower future returns. So what we see here, the blue line is the earnings yield for uh, equities. The blue line on the right-hand side is the dividend yield for US REITs. The orange line says, what happened in the next 20 years in terms of returns? Now, the reason the slides only go up to 2000 and oh, the year 2000 is because we don't have 20-year returns up to the end of 2021 and so on. But what you see is a really clear relationship. As those earnings yield and dividends yields fall, so too the sub do the subsequent 20-year returns. So certainly, uh, it's what you would naturally expect. The more we pay for an asset, the lower our future returns can be. It works that way in practice as well. So that's the major premise uh, in, from an investment perspective. Low interest rate means low returns across all assets. And your mechanism is lower rates means higher prices, which means lower yields, which means lower future returns. And that's even before we consider current valuations, which I think are quite stretched now, even given the low rates. So where you would expect them to be, they're actually a little bit worse than that, I think. So I'm pretty sure that low rates lie ahead, not just for interest rates, but all asset classes. So the question for you is one, if you're convinced by this, uh, you face a whole series of questions. Uh, do I increase your risk, uh, the amount of risk or growth assets in your portfolios to compensate for this lower environment? Does it change your mix between active and passive? How you might invest the defensive part of the portfolio? Do you need more alternatives in your portfolio? They're all investment issues. And so we park those for today and instead just concentrate on this idea of how should we communicate this to clients? Uh, and it will be different uh, depending on who you are. So I, I'm going to just pick out two examples here. Uh, this idea that phonology is where investing meets investors. Uh, and I'm going to think about if you are the CIO of a major superannuation fund and you are of this view and agreed with the basic thesis, I think most do, uh, or if you're an investment advisor with a, a personal relationship with the clients, how might that be different? And what are the things you should be doing? And what are the things to get right? And I, I've got a few suggestions here, but basically this is the challenge for you now to go away and say, look, if you accept the basic premise about low rates, low returns coming up, then how are you going to deal with that with your investors? So we'll look at the CEO and I've just got here, this is really hard. Because I suspect because, let's say if you're a CIO of a major super fund, you don't have a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with investors. If you were to simply come out and say, look, we've had a look at things and you, we've had great returns in the past, but we're unlikely to get great returns going ahead, certainly not like the ones you've been expecting. 
I think that becomes a very diff- difficult challenge for the end investors. What do they do? I, I suspect many of them, if they basically took it all in, their action might be to chase the, or go chasing other types of assets, Bitcoin or something, perhaps even worse. And so I suspect without that personal relationship with investors, your position is one where you could actually do a lot more harm than good by having a very convincing argument why this all might be the case. I mean, if you're a CIO, I think your job is probably what it's always been, to try and get the best returns you can. And if we go into a low investment, uh, a low uh, return environment, then you rely on your standard thing, which is actually, hopefully we've done a little bit better than the other people. And it's because it's been in a low return environment. I don't think there's a lot to be gained necessarily. And it's one for CIOs and the audience to consider by actually getting out there and warning people about this. On the other hand, an investment advisor is in a really different position. An investment advisor uh, is in a position to say, look, I think warning that the world has changed is a really useful thing. There may be an issue with the boy of cried wolf. If this has been a message you've been running for some time and the client simply may not uh, believe you, to the extent you do convince them, one of your challenges is keeping people on site and once again, making sure they don't run off somewhere else. Uh, the piece you need, really need to do, oh, sorry, one thing I think is really helpful is answering the question, not what returns are going to be, but am I on track to meet my goals? And so there's a whole bunch of things for advisors to consider here, but I'm just going to get you to focus on this one thing for a moment. Let's say, for example, you know, this, am I on track to meet my goals? You've all got projectors and you have a projection that looks something like this. If this is based on the old idea of returns, a couple percent higher than this today, you look at it and go, well, you know, my money lasts safely past life expectancy. I don't have to worry about longevity risk. All is good. And I can spend my money according to this plan. Now, if you take a couple percent off the returns, it may look much more like this. So if you're not taking this into account in the am I on track piece, potentially clients are spending way too much money and heading for a disastrous retirement where their money in this case runs out four years too early and they'll become aware of that uh, sometime before that and it's clearly not a good thing. The second piece around that one is well, who says this base case uh, assumption is going to be correct? The reality is Returns could be better or could be worse. And, you know, in this projection here, we've got an optimistic scenario and a pessimistic scenario. If the pessimistic scenario comes out to uh, occur, then your money's not running out five years early, it's 10 years early. You know, it is absolutely disastrous. And so the whole idea of we should be setting up spending plans for clients, we should be starting this discussion about how much can we spend based on how much we can earn, I think is really a, a live one and ones that needs to be done. But also my experience with talking advisors who use this type of tool to work out, am I on track? It really changes the relationship with clients in terms of, uh, are they worried about returns? No, they're really worried about that red line on the right. Is that going through life expectancy or better? If you want some more information, I've got a link down the bottom. Uh, when you get the slides, that will be there. So the contention I've got for you is we really are in a low return environment. Low interest rates will be with us for decades. We're going to get modest returns on growth assets as well. And if you accept that, you need to really think carefully about how you cross the phenology bridge. 
And we must get those clients tuned in for a long-term, low-return world.